Matthew 23, 1 through 36. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay on people's shoulders, lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears uh, by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guide, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets." Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel 
to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. This is the word of the Lord. And it was the word of the Lord to those Pharisees and those scribes and those hypocrites that Jesus declared. And it's good for us to read it. We did a couple of weeks ago. We looked at three other passages, three other times in three other Gospels um, where Jesus spoke to the Pharisees. And now we've jumped ahead to where he does it again. It's good for us to hear it. It's good for us to hear it because of the Pharisee that resides and the temptation to have the Pharisee reside in our hearts. Not for their sake, but for our sake. There's a great danger in Christianity. A great danger. And the danger is that we substitute the forms for the reality. It's the fault of the human heart to do that. To give praise with our lips when our hearts are far from that and Him. That's what we looked at a couple of weeks ago. I hope that you've thought about it since then. I hope that you took time to look at your own life in that regard. Some of you did because you told me you did. I think there were more than others. And it would do well for all of us to do that. What we tried to talk about last week was not repeating the error of the Pharisees, not, not perpetuating it. You see, Christianity is a heart religion, and what the Pharisees and what we said then was that the thing that they missed was they were not willing to ask, what's going on in my heart? What's going on in my heart? They could work through the forms, but they didn't want anything to get close really to their hearts. And all of us are wired that way because we know that our hearts got some stuff going on in them. It's not very pretty. And what we will do if we're not careful is we will just add more forms to try to take care of our heart. And that's what happens sometimes. We just add forms rather than really deal with the real issue which is our hearts. I said to you, and I realized afterwards, I don't think I finished the thought. That, that happens sometimes when you're preaching. You, you think you said it all, but you didn't. I, I gave the illustration that I didn't grow up in the church. I came to Christ when I was 18 years old at a Youth for Christ concert at my high school. And so at, that's the point at which I really entered into the church. I've said before a couple of times I remember being in church because I think it was the only time I was ever in church. That's why I remember it. But I told you that I remember coming into the church and what a foreign country it was. Now, I was self-aware enough, and I, and I had a self-awareness almost to a fault in my life, which is a concern. Sometimes the fault becomes you be concerned about what people think too much. But I was, I was self-aware enough to kind of scout out the landscape as I came in. I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to do something foolish. But it was a foreign country. It was a foreign country, and after I was there a while, I figured out the forms pretty well because I didn't want to embarrass myself. 
And I say that to say to you that we have forms. We all have forms. We, we develop forms. You can't stay away from forms. I mean, you have, you have, worship develops forms and develops ways you do it. That's not wrong. Unless it is devoid of the heart attachment to those forms. And, and the danger is that we get away from the heart and we just rest in the forms. And sometimes we don't even know we've done that. We get, we do it so, it happens so subtly. There's just not a reality about what we're doing. And that's what had happened to the Pharisees. They, they had all kinds of forms, but there was no reality about those forms. Because they didn't fundamentally realize and understand that it was about the heart. The heart. It's interesting to me today that there's something unique going on in our, in our world. If you look at trends of, of age groups and demographic groups and those kinds of things, which because of what I, I do as a pastor, I see those kinds of things and they come across my desk. One of the things that's rising up, interesting, among the younger generation, the 20s, 30-something group, what's rising up in them is a return to liturgy. Things like candles and incense and stuff like that. And other things, other kinds of liturgy. Liking to look at and worship with liturgy. Now, again, I say there's, there's nothing wrong with forms. That's what liturgy is, a form. There's nothing wrong with it. We have our own liturgy, uh, though we would not be known as a liturgical church. Liturgy is just a form. So it's not wrong to go to those forms and use them if the heart's connected to that. But what I think is happening in some cases, and maybe more than we would think is, we have so ripped the gospel out of the modern church that, that when you do that, you take away the heart stuff. And so they, they just kind of are grasping for something to grab onto. And because the gospel's not there, they're grasping onto liturgical things. They're grasping onto forms. And just form upon form upon form. Not everybody in that movement is doing that. Some of it comes from real heart stuff. But you see, that's the danger. The danger is that we rest in the form and it's devoid of the heart being connected to it. That's why I stayed here this morning. That's why I stayed in this. That's why I jumped ahead. We're, if you're new this morning or visiting with us, we're, we're walking chronologically through the Gospels in the life of Christ, in all four Gospels. And I want to admit to you, Dave, I've jumped ahead a little bit. I've jumped ahead in that chronological order a bit to get to Matthew 23, and we'll back up a little in the next weeks. But I did it because it fit the three passages I had last week. Now, again, Jesus comes and addresses this whole issue of the Pharisees. But he says something in this that is chilling to me. This is what happens, what, what happened to the Pharisees, if you, if you don't get shaken out of resting in the form without the reality. If you go down that road and you get farther down that road and farther away from the heart issue, these are the dangers of that. Let me, let me direct you to this passage, a couple of places. Matthew 23 now, look at verse 4, if you have your Bibles, verse 4. Listen to what it says. I'm going to share some pastoral concerns now with you. And and these kind of things send chills up my spine. Verse 4. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, 
and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. In other words, they put a whole bunch of things and requirements on the people, but they're not willing to lift a finger to help. They just say, do this, but no help. Burdens, heavy burdens. And then if you go down into verse 13 through 15, even some stronger things are said. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You shut it. Now, the Pharisees thought they were opening it. But Jesus says, you're just shutting it. What you're doing is counterproductive to what needs to be done. You shut it in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter go to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Now, I hope when that was read this morning, it, it was chilling to you. Basically, what it's saying is there's, there's a potential because I think these things are written for us. The, the danger of the Pharisees resides within the church today. And the danger is we can go out and make converts and make them twice the son of hell. In other words, it, it, we're not helping them. We're not. There's a way you can do it that is not Christianity. And yet, I think it gets done again and again and again. And it happens, it happens when you don't keep the gospel centric. What the, what the uh, Pharisees did not understand was that everything that they had been taught, everything they had learned, all of the scriptures pointed to Christ pointed to the one that they now at this point were out to get. They were going to get Jesus. They were going to snuff him out. The very thing that all of it pointed to, they were, they were oblivious to. They didn't see it. And so I say to you, what it says to us as the church today is we must keep the gospel centric. It must be at the center. Christ must be at the center. And if we don't keep Him at the center, the very same thing that happened here will happen. You'll get people to follow some things, but they'll follow you right off a cliff. That is chilling to me. It is chilling. The danger of it is so enormous. And so the question I ask is, how do we keep it from happening? As a pastor, how do we keep it from happening? The first thing I would say to you before I go there is that you don't have to help people to go off that cliff. People are wired to get the gospel wrong. People are wired to get Christianity wrong. They don't need any help. They're blind. They don't understand. Christianity is absolutely unique. And the only way you see it clearly is that God opens your eyes to see it. Now, we can make it worse. We can make it harder to see because the means by which people see Christianity the way they ought to see it is that we lift up the biblical 
Christ. We magnify Christ. That people begin to see Him and what He taught clearly. And exactly the opposite of what the Pharisees did. They tried to snuff it out. They tried to do everything they could to cover it up. Tried everything they did to distort what He was teaching. The way that we keep from following the heir of the Pharisee centers in Christ. It centers in Him. Everything that was written, everything that was written in the Old Testament was written to point to Him. And so we must keep Christ central to everything we do. And, and the way we keep from the air, the way that we keep from laying heavy burdens on people, the way we keep them from becoming um, twice the son of hell is to lift up Christ, to magnify Christ so that they can see Him clearly. They can see Him clearly. And that's exactly, as I said, what all of the Old Testament was about. If, if you go to the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 5, the scripture there says that the law was a guardian until Christ came. Other versions than the RSV will say it was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Uh, other places it says it was put in charge to lead us to Christ. All of the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament was there to lead us to Christ. To lead us to where the apex of the glory of God is to be seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We've said oftentimes this book is one story. It is one story about that Christ. And it is so important that we get it correct. So important that we see it clearly. Now, now let me, let me paint something here. Keep that in mind. The, the remedy is to clearly present Christ. Clearly lift Him up so that people will see Him and see what He came to do. There's an interesting thing here as I, as I wrestled with this text this, this week. Here in the text, it says that they tie up heavy burdens and then they won't do anything to lift those burdens off the people. Turn with an, to another passage. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 11, just back a few chapters. Listen, listen to what Jesus said. Listen to the contrast of how Jesus puts that whole idea of burdens. He talks about His coming. And, and listen with me, beginning at verse 25 of chapter 11. It says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and to anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now, this is what I want you to get. In the context of the Pharisees laying up heavy burdens, this is what Jesus says. Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden. What causes you to be heavy laden? Burdens. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is what? Light. See the contrast? If you get it wrong, it lays heavy burdens on people. If 
you get it right, Jesus says, my burden is light. So if you're feeling a heavy burden kind of situation right now, maybe it is that you don't see Jesus as you need to see Him. Now hold on to your hats for a minute because I want to take you someplace for a moment that may think I'm going in the opposite direction of that. It's interesting to me that that uh, part of the reason that that these people felt heavy burdens was the law and and part of the problem with the law is that they had added to the law. The Pharisees and Sadducees added things to the law and so it became heavy, but part of it was the law. They had they had given the law, they had lived the law, Old Testament law. Um, and that became heavy. But look at look at something with me which seems to be going in an opposite direction. But hold on and we'll try to try to get us out of the weeds. Look at look at chapter five or chapter five of Matthew for a minute. Go back there again. Beginning at verse 17. Let me read this and then we'll try to explain where we're headed. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not an iota nor a dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so, the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, stay with this. But you see, they gave heavy burdens to the people. Jesus says, my burden is light. And then he says, I'm not here to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And in fact, your righteousness needs to exceed theirs. Then he goes on to say this. You have heard it said of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable of judgment. One of the Ten Commandments. Shall not kill. But I say that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says you fool will be liable to hell, a fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And then he goes on. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Another commandment. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. And he goes on. It's interesting. Jesus says they lay heavy burdens on the people. And part of that was because they had added things. But part of, part of what they were teaching was the law. Fulfilling the law. And here Jesus says, you heard this, but I take it a step farther. How can that be a lighter burden? How can that be a lighter burden? I think it comes from the second part of, 
of Matthew chapter 23 now. Look, look up there. He, he had two, two things, two things that he accused them of. First of all, he says they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. The difference is that Jesus was willing to lift his finger. The, the difference in one degree was that Jesus was willing to help. To help. And, and the purpose of the law was to show us, the purpose of all of that was to show us that we needed help. To show us that we needed his help. Dependency. The reason Jesus' burden is light The reason it's not heavy, even when he goes beyond the law to the heart issues, is because that's where he helps us. That's where he comes. He drives us to genuine dependency. That's the most gracious thing Jesus can do. He won't let us settle for forms. He won't let us settle for outward activity. He won't let us rest there. But he says, it's a matter of the heart. It's, it's deeper than that. It's a matter of your motives. It's a matter of a heart that needs help. And the glorious thing about the gospel is that that's exactly what Jesus came to deal with. The heart. The heart. He won't let us rest in forms because it doesn't take us far enough. It doesn't show us our real need and our real need is our heart. A real need is to be totally dependent on Him. And the, 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 the battle of the Christian life, the battle of the Christian life is to rest in Christ, the one who will give us rest as we do that. How does He do that? First of all, we, we come to see the gospel. We come to rest and, and have dependency on the fact that He perfectly did what we can't do. The reason that his yoke is not burdensome is because he lifts that yoke. He helps bear that yoke. And the way he does it, first of all, is that he perfectly did what we couldn't. And we depend on him for the righteousness that we need, the the acceptance we need. We don't have to go out and earn our salvation. It's not a matter. It's not a matter of how well we keep the law, but it's a matter of how well he kept the law. Jesus perfectly did what we can't do. He perfectly accomplished what the Pharisees tried to put on the people, which they could never accomplish. I mean, that's a horrible thing to do to people. It's a horrible thing to lay something on people and say, do this, and if you don't do this, there are dire circumstances from this. Go. That's, that's what they did. They just laid it on them and gave no remedy, no way the people could do it. That's not what Christ does. That's why His burden is light. He doesn't... He doesn't say abolish the law. He doesn't say don't worry about murder, don't worry about adultery. He says, in fact, if you just hate somebody, you're guilty of murder. If you look at somebody, you're guilty of lust. 
But he says, that's, that's going to drive you to me. It's, it's the only thing, the only remedy, the only perfect remedy is me. And I will fully, perfectly live out a life that will give you a righteousness that then when you sin, you can run to me. I perfectly did. You, it's not a matter of living beyond sin. It's not a matter of not ever sinning again is your hope of eternal life. But it's the fact that you have a sin bearer. You have one that took your wrath. You have one that took all of the punishment to give you a righteousness, as we prayed this morning, an alien righteousness. But it's more than that. It's more than that. It's more than just accounting you righteous because of what Christ did. But I will also come to you and I will give you grace. I won't be like the Pharisees who said, give you all the standard and say, go do it. Good luck. But I will, I will provide a righteousness, an alien righteousness. But then I will come and extend grace to you. I will come and help you in the moment of anger. In the moment of being guilty of murder. To be able to turn. To be able to find grace. To have your anger be taken. And the time when you're tempted to look where you shouldn't look, that I'll come and give you grace. I will help you. The difference between what the Pharisees did and what Jesus did and what He calls us. You see, so the battle for us is the battle for dependency. The battle is where I began this morning. The battle is realizing how desperately we need Him to help us. And the good news is He promises to do it. The battle is to wait. The battle isn't just to bear the burden. The battle isn't just to have it all heaped on your shoulders. The battle is to rest in Him and let Him bear the burden. Let Him be the one who carries that for you and extends the grace to help you with it. It's so different. It's so different. Christianity is absolutely different than any other religion. Jesus says, my burden is easy. I wonder this morning, do we see that? Do we understand that? Do we live there? Or, or so often we, we just get heavy laden and the danger is if we do it, we pass it on to others. Let me make a couple of points and then I'm going to close this morning. These are my cautions to you. These are my cautions. As you, as you seek to live out your Christian life, there are lots of voices, lots of places that you can listen, lots of things you can read. There's all kinds of literature. There's all kinds of voices now with the Internet and all of that. People you can follow. But be careful. Be careful in what you read and be careful in what you listen to. If all it is about is, is um, do this and do that and do the, do the other thing. But there's no talk. There's no place in all of that where you hear the gospel. The gospel says to us that God will help us. Does it mean that we shouldn't murder? Yes. Does it mean we shouldn't commit adultery? Yes. Does it mean we shouldn't even do it in our hearts? Yes. Does Jesus deny that? No. But what he says to us is, I will help you. I will come and help you. I will first of all 
cleanse you from the unrighteousness of sin. I will, I will, I will provide and perfectly do what you can. But then I will extend grace to you to help you in your time of need. I will come to you. And if you listen to things that are devoid of the gospel and the power of the gospel, it will put you back under a burden. A burden that you don't want to bear. And the second thing is, be careful. Be careful if you're here today and you've checked out from Christianity. I mean, you come, you show up, but you've checked out. You say, I, I can't, I can't live that. What I would say to you is make sure that you've rejected the true thing. Make sure you've rejected Christianity. Make sure you've seen Christ for who He is and the one who is willing to lift a finger, the one who is willing to work and act on our behalf. And the, the most magnificent way He did is what He did on the cross when He took our penalty and He took the wrath that should have been for us. But He does more than that. He continues to work in our behalf. He continues to bear the burden for us as we go along and extend grace to us. Do you see Him that way? Do you see Christ for who He is? Do you see Christianity for what it is? Are you fleeing from the air of the Pharisees? It is so easy for us to fall there. It is so easy. I want to recommend to you a book and then we're going to close this morning. This book, if, you're, if your interest is, is tweaked this morning about what it means to have Jesus act and work in your behalf, the things that I've talked about here, and you're struggling to understand what that really looks like, let me recommend a book. This book, Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. It's written by Billy Graham's uh, grandson, Tulian Chavajan. He pastors Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church now in, on the East Coast. But if you're looking for a, a tool that may help you to understand what we've talked about this morning, talked about gospel-centric living, talked about how and what the Christian life truly is, is like and what it looks like as we live it out and the, the danger and the air of falling into the air of the Pharisees, I would recommend this to you. Uh, you can come and look at it. I'll leave it up here this morning. You can order it um, most anywhere and get it. It's, it's just been released. But it's incredibly helpful. And I pray God will use it. Let's, let's pray together this morning. Father, I pray that, that you will help us. Lord, I, I fear, one of my greatest fears as a, as a pastor is that somehow, um, somehow I will misrepresent your son to these people. They don't need any help getting it wrong the, the wiring of our heart and life is to go the way of the Pharisees so help us Father help us to see that if, if this is a, a burdensome trek we find ourselves on that maybe we're not seeing things clearly correctly Maybe we're not seeing your son the way we ought to see him. And Lord, I just pray that you'll help those who are beginning to maybe consider that possibility. 
And that, Father, you would help them to know what it is to wear your yoke and to live in a way that it is not heavy and they find rest in their soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing that song together. Stand with me, will you? that he did what I couldn't do. And my only hope of living a life of righteousness is that your son works in my heart. I'm grateful, Lord, that my hope of eternal life is not tied to my progress in righteousness. I'll never be righteous enough. I'll never do enough to merit your favor. That's why I always need your son. But Lord, I do believe that you come and help us, Lord. You help us to go way beyond the written law because you deal with our heart. And we pray you'll help us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go in God's peace.